This morning, if you turn in your Bibles, uh, as we begin the 8th chapter here in the Gospel of Luke, as we continue our journey uh, with the Savior as He's wandering around the region of Galilee, and a very, very, very familiar passage of Scripture, probably, you know, in the top five of all the parables, maybe number one on many people's list, is the parable of the sower. And it really is uh, perhaps the the standard by which parables are generally judged because of the way that it's spoken and uh, the the beauty of it, but the challenge of it. It is one of those parables that when we read it, I think it challenges each of us uh, in a different way often. I know for me, uh, it's, Jeff, how can you sow the seed a little better? You know, how can you do... Uh, that that job of broadcasting the seed to the world, if you will, uh, in a greater way. And so this morning, the parable of the sower. And I want to remind you that as we begin this, there's a little kind of interlude that occurs here in the first uh, couple of verses, the first three, and it involves uh, these three wonderful ladies. But it gives us a picture. Very often, I think that we we get the the assumption from what Scripture says, generally, that Jesus was by and large uh, almost alone in his ministry. You know, he has the twelve knuckleheads and, and, and a crowd that's following him, but there really is a significant background group of people that's used in the life of the Lord. And in this very specific way, very specific way, there are a group of ladies, and in fact, he goes on to say, Luke does, as he records, that there were uh, certain women and many others. And so, the ministry that Jesus undertook wouldn't have gone very far without these ladies. Uh, as it's been wisely pointed out that the armies of the world travel on their bellies, uh, if you don't feed them, if you don't provide, if you're not moving in that way to to do that part of the ministry, the ministry's not going to go anywhere. And so we're going to get to that first in this amazing account as Jesus preaches from his floating pulpit uh, in the Sea of Galilee. And so would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Lord, for your goodness and for your blessings, Lord, we we just come to you expectant to hear from your word. And Lord, we're so grateful uh, for the way that you speak to us. And Lord, for those of us with receptive hearts, uh, we hear the word of the Lord and do it. And for those that maybe this morning their hearts are a little bit inclined to be uh, less than fruitful soil, God, would you move in a special way this morning to cause us to be hearers of the word. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Blessed name we pray. Amen. And I want to give just my own shout out this morning. Uh, if you took the ladies out of the ministry of this church, this church wouldn't go very far either. Uh, it is, in fact, an awful lot of ladies that are behind the scenes doing a lot of things, uh, teaching the children. They're in the nursery. They're providing for the hospitality uh, we have Teresa sitting back there at the PowerPoint projected. There there are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful ladies serving uh, without whom, uh, and among them is my lovely wife, without whom uh, this ministry would not go forward. And so do not begin to think for a moment 
that ministry is a man-only endeavor. It's not that way in Scripture, and it's not that way here in this church. Uh, we are grateful for the ladies that teach. Uh, we have, if go on the website, go to the media archive, you're going to find some teaching there from the ladies that will challenge you, men, uh, and I encourage you to do so, uh, because you're going to find out there's a little bit of a different spin at times that uh, the ladies have on those passages, and it's just as valid as what I might preach from the pulpit. So uh, thank you, ladies, for your wonderful service in this church. Verse 1, it says here in chapter 8, And now it came to pass afterward. And so the afterward is Jesus has been traveling as far south as Nain. He's gone to Magdala. He's been in Capernaum. That's his home base, if you will. He's traveled along what is chiefly the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he's been wandering with his disciples. He's gathered a crowd. That crowd seems to be following him pretty much wherever he goes. And if it's not following him, the word is going ahead on the Via Maris, the road that surrounds uh, the edge of the Sea of Galilee, the Roman road that was there for the purpose of transport of goods and taxation, it was there that every time Jesus went through a town, people gathered. This was the guide. This was the happening thing uh, in the region of Galilee. And so in his ministry uh, afterward, this is kind of now going to begin a time of teaching in a more direct way and yet in a parabolic way. He's not going to speak uh, the directness of the word, but he's going to give them those thoughts which we would call a parable or an allegory, a story about which you've got to do some thinking. And I love parables for that part of their use in scriptures. Parables make you think. Because they were hearing the word and not believing the word, because the word had gone forth, and yet at the same time they're missing the whole point, Jesus begins to speak in parables, and they draw you in. And you have to remember that as Jesus speaks these parables, almost every one of them is something to which the people of the day could have looked and go, that's a sower sowing seed. It was something that they could relate to. That's a fruit tree. It was a way for Jesus to engage them. And to say, look guys, here's the story. Now you need to choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve. And it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village. He was very complete in his travels. Make no mistake, the message went out. That's why when people say, you know what, the gospel was just this fable. Well, if it was a fable, it was a very infectious fable that, it, that just absolutely overtook the entire region of Galilee, so much so that these massive crowds of thousands of people who heard the word of the Lord gathered. This was not some tiny little sideshow. This was the main event in that day and time. And so he went to every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And twelve were with him. And now he goes on to mention what I believe is not a side note here, but it's actually an accolade. The Lord is, is reminding us for the same purpose which I have reminded you and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities can I remind you that there is one faith, one Lord, one hope, one baptism, and one Lord over all. His name is Jesus. And we all come the same way. 
And there is no differentiation between man and woman in that regard. And women are just as useful in the kingdom as are men. Very often there are different gifts that are dispersed by God as he sees fit, but ladies are absolutely, 100%, totally and completely equal in God's eyes. There is no differentiation with that regard. They're just simply different things that we do. And it takes everyone, and it especially took these ladies, because if you remember, the disciples weren't exactly the spectacular bunch. If you had left it up to them to see to it that they were going to be tended to and fed and kept watch over, they'd have starved to death on the first trip to Nain. Okay, and just like many of us today, it's really kind of funny. When you ladies go away, you should see some of the stuff we come up with in the kitchen. I think you can barbecue ramen. I'm pretty sure you can just baste it, put it on the grill, and something will happen, you know. And again, I'm not trying to be gender specific because some of us guys can actually cook and some of you ladies can't, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I've tasted some of it. (laughs) Yep, afraid so. It's like, I'm not sure what that is. There was a sweetheart. Okay. Certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. That's all of us, amen? Before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so Jesus is simply acknowledging the fact that these ladies were just as wonderfully saved by the grace of God as any man. And so they had been healed. Mary, called Magdalene, so she was from Magdala, and we'll get there in a moment, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. She had had seven demons in her. She was a real case. Joanna, the wife of Shusa, and Herod's servant, or steward, and Susanna, and many others, notice that, who provided him from their substance. So, so they were used mightily to tend to the needs of Jesus. And as this trip undertook and went around the Sea of Galilee, it would have been a huge deal. These ladies seriously sacrificed. They they were working for the kingdom's good. And you know, it's interesting because we have a tendency to look at ministry from a human perspective and, you know, we kind of establish, you know, here's the, here's the pastor and the elders and the leaders and all those kind of things and way down here, uh, is is the nursery worker. And let me just tell you, absolutely every part of the body, your Bible says, your Bible says, let the eye say to the hand that I have no need of you. You, you see, from your Bible's perspective, every gift is essential, no matter what it is. It has a function in the body of Christ, and without it, the whole thing doesn't work properly. We have so many things going on at this church that go largely unseen and yet are essential to the functioning of the church. So I I want to encourage you, broaden your picture there of what ministry really is. Luke seems to have kind of picked this narrative at this time. It's kind of the return journey. He's returning from Nain and he's heading back to Capernaum. And as we'll see in a moment, he's not going to quite get there uh, before he begins to, to... preach, if you will, uh, this message. And he's going to preach specifically the glad tidings, notice this, of the kingdom of God, not just the kingdom of heaven. 
And there's an important distinction there. And as you look at these things, uh, I would remind you that the kingdom of God is spiritual. In other words, it's perfect. It's absolute. God is alone in charge of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of heaven is imperial. It implies a ruler, if you will, here on earth. We have the kingdom of heaven existent in the body of Christ right here, right now. But it's far from perfect because we're actually part of it. And while we're here, we're not actually part. So the kingdom of God is a much broader picture of the work that Christ will do ultimately when we all go to heaven. And so he's preaching the kingdom of God. In other words, the final picture. And that final picture is way better than the one that we have here. This is good, but it's going to one day be perfected. So the kingdom of God is also eternal, as opposed to the the kingdom of heaven will end at the millennial reign of Christ. Because there's going to be people here on earth that will survive the tribulation, they'll go through the millennium, and they're not perfected yet. So it ends at that point, and then the kingdom of God, which is forever and ever and ever, and in it is the new Jerusalem, and the new heavens, and the new earth, and no sin. Amen? He's preaching the broader message now. And he's trying to attract everyone to what is this broader message that, hey, we we can absolutely uh, be part of that wonderful thing that we call the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God that awaits us. And I, I can't wait for that part. I, I love the kingdom of the, of heaven that we have now. That's all of us. We get to fellowship together and we experience those godly things and the wonderful work of the Spirit in the world. But I'd really like for it to be perfected. Because every once in a while, I'm not walking in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Yeah, I, it, it happens. You're, you're, you're engaging in life and all of a sudden, wow, there it is. Boom. Just like that. You, you, you've got a little taste of the enemy still here on this earth. One day that's going to be over. That will be the kingdom of God. And so it begins to to proclaim this, and I, and I want you to kind of get a picture of this. During the Dark Ages, and, and this is the best way for me to explain it to you, I believe, during the Dark Ages, they had what are known as heralds. And those heralds would go forth, and they would take the decree of the king, and they would walk through the streets, and they would say, Hear ye, hear ye! The king of England, Richard, says that all people shall be taxed at 10%. Okay, when that herald spoke that word, it was non-negotiable. You didn't debate it. Well, I think I only want to pay 7%. I don't like 10%. Well, if you'd said it nice, I would have done it. It was non-negotiable. And you need to get that when you talk about the Word of God. The Word of God is not negotiable. It isn't something that you get to pick and choose what you want to do, what you want to hear, and how you want to hear it. And neither is the totality of the gospel, because the gospel in your life brings you to faith in Jesus Christ, who is the living Word. So what He said is who we are. What He said is what we do. It's not negotiable. He's heralding the broader kingdom of God, which is, we're all going to be like Him. Amen? So he's proclaiming a non-negotiable truth. Please get that. Because our world is filled with people who want to negotiate what part of God's Word they want to believe. 
what part of God's Word they want to enact. What part of God's Word actually brings salvation, quite frankly? People like to skip to, well, I don't like the Lordship thing. I want to keep doing my own thing. And so Jesus is proclaiming the truth. And by that, there, there is this elimination of this need to, to endlessly discuss and debate the things of God. We don't pick and choose. We hear the proclamation, and we do what it says. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's saying, here it is. And to that end, he makes provision for it. He's the one that causes that to happen. And as he does so, he, he takes care of everything. One of the hard things for us to understand is we walk by faith and not by sight. That doesn't mean that we do nothing, but the Lord is the provider for what we do. He provides for all things that we have need of according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, your Bible says. That's everything. That's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, provisionally. He does it all. Now, we have our part to play, but it's his doing. He makes provision for it. And you have to remember who he is. This is the Lord of glory that's speaking to the crowd that's gathered there on the shore. And so I want to remind you that Jesus was poor. And so there was a provision that needed to be made, even practically speaking at that time. He'd have had no food if it wasn't for these ladies. He would not have been taking, neither would have the disciples. They would have just wandered around Galilee picking from the fields or doing whatever they could. And so there was a provision made for these ladies to be used in a wonderful, wonderful way. Uh, these, the, I would shudder to think what would have happened if the disciples had been the, the sole means of that provision. The Lord was the provider, and so he puts it upon the hearts of these ladies whose lives have been transformed to come and engage in the work of the gospel. And so there were many women that were involved in this wonderful ministry of the Lord. And, and as we begin now the actual parable itself, keep that in view. Here is Mary, who's from Magdala. That was a, a place where it was known uh, to be relatively affluent. It was where they dyed wool. Uh, you can go there today and see the, the dyeing pits that were used from biblical times. Uh, you, you can travel to that area of the world. You can see how these little towns were kind of linked together and each one uh, having a part on its own. And so as we begin this journey, Jesus has now come back to the very northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. He's not very far from Capernaum. That's his home, basically, where Peter and Peter's mother-in-law lived. And so he's making the journey back. And as he makes a journey back, as you'll see in this photo, he's, you're looking down from the Mount of Beatitudes. So all of these things kind of took place in the same general vicinity. And you're looking down to a place called the Cove of the Sower. And if you read both Mark's account in chapter 4 and, and Matthew's account in Matthew 13, you're going to find that Jesus preaches this message from a boat. And so it's the same story. Unlike the last one that we saw that only existed in Luke, this one's in three of the Gospels. And so Jesus is kind of in a floating pulpit down there on the lake. And along the edge of the lake, about a 100 yards up from the shoreline, to this day, the actual road that goes around the lake is in the same location as the old Roman Via Maris, the road around the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Tiberias. Those are all the same place, the lake 
the Sea of Galilee. And so that road that would travel around, that's how everybody went to every town. So you have to think, God's using a wonderful vehicle here of traveling from town to town to town. The word he went down along the edge of the shoreline, preaching in every village and town. Now he's coming back, preaching in every village and town. And as he goes through, the crowds are gathering. They're now following. So he's between two cities, one of them Magdala and the other one Capernaum, two villages. And he's about halfway between the two. That is the location of the Mount of Beatitudes, and that is the location of the Cove of the Sower. They're roughly 300 yards apart. And so in that location he stops. And the crowd's traveling with him behind. And people are coming because they're told, hey, he's coming from... Oh, he went to Nain and he's on his way back. And they're running out to meet him. And they gather along that area of below the road, but near the lake. And so he pushes out in a boat. And so the natural amplification qualities of the voice bouncing off the water, he's speaking to a couple thousand people with a natural voice. I don't even know how many sound studies have been done from that place, being out in a boat 50, 60 yards offshore and preaching, but it's been estimated that ten to 15,000 people could have heard a person speaking with a natural voice. I've seen two of them myself to where more than a quarter of a mile up the slope towards the Mount of Beatitudes, you can hear the human voice. And so it's not this supernatural, you know, oh, and all of a sudden the voice comes out. Jesus simply pushes out in the boat, the disciples are on the shore, the crowd gathers, and as they go by on the Via Maris, a bunch more people gather in. They're like, what's going on down there? There's a dude in the boat preaching. He's doing something down there. And because they didn't have Edwards Theaters, they did not have football, they did not have, you know, those Disneyland didn't exist, this was as close to entertainment as there was. There's somebody down, let's go hear what he has to say. Little did they know that he was going to challenge them. And so verse 4, And when a great multitude had gathered at that location that you see in that slide, Jesus is looking up on the hill, and there's probably some sowers up there, because at that point in time, that was all farmland. It still is to this day. A lot of wheat is planted there, some winter wheat along the northern shore. And they had come from every city. He spoke by a parable. And so he begins to speak this story. And here the story is in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And it's, he, I don't know whether he pointed or looked up and saw a guy up there with a bag around his shoulder going out just broadcasting the seed. He begins to give them this mental picture so they could understand it. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, and it sprang up, and yielded a crop one hundredfold. And so he gives them this picture, and they could all relate to it. Hey, you got a farmer in your family. Maybe you yourself grow some subsistence crops, and you know what it's like to grab a bag of seed, and everything depends on what kind of soil it lands on. 
The seed's good, period. Amen? Need to get this in your head, because as you remember this, you don't misinterpret this particular parable. The seed, he's going to tell us, is the Word of God. The seed's perfect. It contains the DNA of Christ, okay? Just like when you take seed, if you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree, amen? If you throw wheat seed out, you're going to get wheat. If you toss some radish seeds down, you're going to get radishes. The DNA is in the seed. And the seed itself will produce exactly the seed itself, and it will just simply replicate it. So the seed is going to be sown And so what he's talking about here, he's not even focusing on the seed itself. He's focusing on the ground that it lands on because that's the part that's you. And that's the part that's me. And that's the part that was that crowd he was speaking to. He's engaging them. He's getting them to think. He's saying, look, guys. And when he had said these things, he cried. He spoke out. He proclaimed. He said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's going, Okay, guys, I mean what I'm saying. This is the truth. Listen up. Take it in, because it's important. And then the disciples asked him, saying, You would think they would know. But you can kind of see they're a little dense. What does this parable mean? That was probably Peter's version of it. John's going, What does this parable mean? Andrew's going, what does this parable mean? It's all about how we hear things, isn't it? You you see, he's speaking the truth, and everybody's going, well, I don't know. What do you think he said? I I don't know. What do you think he said? And he said, Jesus spoke to you, that being the disciples. It has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In other words, the deeper things. Guys, you're walking with me. I'm talking to you. You're hearing the stuff over and over and over again. You're getting it. Okay, You understand it. That's what he's saying. But to the rest, to the crowd, to the people gathered, to those on the shore. You see, one of the problems with being a pastor is you get an opportunity to teach every single passage of the entire Bible, if you happen to be a Calvary Chapel guy, and you do that. Because we teach chapter and verse, Genesis to Revelation. And so you get there, and when you go through the Gospel, well, I've taught, the, you know, I've taught this passage probably 30 or 40 times. You, you see, you kind of can almost have that familiarity thing that breeds a little bit of contempt. It's just like, oh, you know, everybody knows that. Everybody doesn't know that. And maybe there's one or two people in here today who've never heard the parable of the sower. They haven't got a clue. And so to them, Jesus is saying, hear ye, hear ye. To the rest of you, you guys know the truth. Let's build the truth. Let's make sure we have this nailed. So when you go out and you sow seed, you have this seed to work with. But to the rest, it is given in parables that... Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Isn't it amazing how you can speak the plain truth to people and they just don't get it? You're looking right at them. You're going, you know what? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. Thus says the Lord. That's what He said. They're going, well, I don't think so. 
No, it's, that's not true. I mean, you can worship tree spirits and you'll go to heaven. If you've just been to church ever in your entire life, you're going to go to heaven. They can hear it, even understand it to some degree, and still not believe. And so Jesus is drawing them in. In other words, you can hear it, see it, not get it. Now the parable is this. And notice how he actually explains it to them. This gives you an idea of how dense we can be. Amen? He's going to actually tell them what it means. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Pretty plain statement. Those by the waysides are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And so he's making a very, very, very clear distinction here. He's getting after it. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but it has no root. It's kind of like here in Running Springs. We've got a lot of granite. You can throw some seed out there, hits a couple of rocks, and not so good. But these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time, temptation will cause them to fall away. In verse 14, And now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they've heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, pleasures of life, and bring not a speck of fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and with a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You see, that's why this is called the king of all parables to some. Jesus not only gives the parable exactly as he spoke it, but then he begins to explain it. You, you, you see, we need to understand that he's talking about the hearts of men here, and that's it. This, the seed is really almost a side note. And Jesus is going to speak because he wants them to begin to, to mine for their own gold. You know, our state motto, everybody know what that is? It's Eureka. I found it. It's from the 49ers. It's from mining gold. And they were having that kind of aha moment very often. As they heard the Word of God, they're going, Aha! Eureka! I found it! I got it! Okay, I'm like this. And, and man, I live my life and I do all these things and everything gets in the way of my spiritual life and, and i got stuff going on Sunday and i got stuff going on Wednesday night and I can't go to the mints. I can't go to the I am choked out by the things of the world. They're getting it. All of a sudden, it's just coming on them. They're understanding fully and completely. Hey, he's talking about the soil. What kind of heart is it that that seed fell on? Because the seed is good. It's the Word of God, period. And so as he begins to, to speak, he's saying, look, guys, the problem's not the seed. The problem's the soil. There is no problem with the seed because Jesus tells us what the seed is. And so we can say this is an extreme isolation of the real problem. He says, now let me explain to you what the real problem is. And so he begins with these first these three types of soil that really are not going to produce much. The roadside soil, the rocky soil, 
the ruined soil. And if you picture this kind of this Galilean revival that's going on, there are a lot of people who are just hanging out with Jesus because it was something to do. There are a lot of people that were, hey, my friend told me that, you know, there's this traveling preacher and he was down by the lake and he's standing in a boat and he's, he's speaking these things. Some people were genuinely interested in seeking the Lord. Some people were there because they thought they could get something. Some people were like, you know, we have, if, if you stay up late at night and you watch those ridiculous infomercials, this was kind of the infomercial of the day. And it's like, you know, kind of the self-help thing, you know, the old Tony Robbins, you know, whoop, whoop, okay, you're all going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise thing now. They were looking for that. Some people were looking for, man, I'm sick of living underneath Rome. This dude I hear is going to bring about the kingdom of God. And man, if he brings the kingdom of God, the Romans are out of here. Where's your heart? That's the question. And so he begins the wayside soil, if you will, and some in the rocks and some among the thorns. And you can just see how he begins to, to take each one of these things one at a time and he begins to really let them know uh, what's going on in their own place that each one of them's at. Jesus is going to use some unique language here. And as he looks at this, he, he says, He that has ears, let him hear. He uses that seven times in the Gospel. He uses it eight times in the book of Revelation, and he's the only one that uses that phrase. So he's saying, guys, this is what the kingdom's about. This is about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This is about you, and this is something you need to hear. And so he begins to give them an expanded commentary as he highlights what these verses actually mean. And he just says, you know what? There's some soil that's on the roadside. There, there's some soil that's rocky that just has all kinds of tough stuff in it that's very hard to get going. And then there's the stuff that's just flat ruined. It's, it's not any good at all. And so we begin with what I call the demonic factor, the, the roadside soil. And that's, let me tell you this. How many of you, I'll just ask it as a question, how many of you have gotten up on Sunday morning and all hell has broken loose in your home and it's almost impossible to get to church? I have. Yeah, I can't. It's like water squirting out of the pipes. You get you wake up on Sunday mornings like your car is dead, your battery's dead. There was only three inches of snow, but ten feet fell in your front yard. The berm is eighty feet tall. You're like I can't get out of my driveway. The devil hates the hearing of the word. Okay, he hates it. And there will always be things that come into your life. There is a demonic factor. And so it says, those by the wayside are they that hear, and the devil comes. He gives us the exact example. And takes the word out of their hearts. Because why? It's truth. It is truth. It's not negotiable. He's proclaiming the truth. And if you hear the truth, Jesus says the truth sets you free. All of a sudden you're going to be going, wow, that's truth. I'm good. And so the enemy comes and tries to snatch away that seed. And, and let me tell you, there's a lot of distractions on this earth. Amen? It's crazy to me. And frankly, some of the things that even happen in here are, I believe, the enemy trying to distract. You know, I love babies. We let them in the sanctuary. Every once in a while, you ever notice how we have one or two that just like for 20 minutes, 
it's kind of like a demonic presence has come to the lungs of that child. I'm not saying the baby. Okay? Baby's good. But the enemy's going, I'll just get it to cry. Nobody will be able to hear anything. Let me give you another demonic force that's at work in the church. Cell phones. Demonic. You know, all of a sudden it rings and you happen to have some 80's, you know, John Travolta song as your ringtone for some ungodly reason. You know, it's like you know, it goes off and you can't find it because you buried it in the bottom of your purse or it's under your seat, three seats over, and you forgot where it was. And it's going, yeah, it's, it's, it gets snatched up. And people now, they're, I'm getting ready to deliver the goods. The Lord's been using me to bring forth the Word. And all of a sudden, all you're hearing is, damn. You know, you're like, I have no idea what he taught about. All I know is John Travolta is still alive on planet Earth. You know, you, it's, it's, it's that thing. You know, the folks who can't stay in their seat for 45 minutes, and so they've got to get up, and they go up, and they get another cup of coffee. The devil can use all that stuff and snatch away the seed. And, of course, it gets a lot worse than that, amen? How many of you on the way home have gotten into some heinous argument or discussion with either your wife or your children? You know, it's like, oh, he said this. Well, he didn't mean you, you know, because you're not saved. And all of a sudden, it's... You're like, it's getting snatched up. There's that roadside soil. There's junk in it. Have you ever looked at the edge of a road? Look at what's buried. Yeah, Dan from Caltrans. He's like, yeah, there's, there's like 40 feet of cans down there. And you look at the roadside soil. has been run over by all the looky-loos that won't pull over when you're behind them, but do when they shouldn't. Amen? And it's just smashed flat, and it's hard, and there's trash sticking out of it. Roadside soil. The enemy's trying to snatch away that seed. You see, that's what Jesus was telling us. Guys, you know what? It's, look, you were just walking the, the Via Maris. And at that time, they, they had litter too. You can go to Jerusalem. You want to see some serious litter. There's more than 20 feet of pottery on the eastern side of the wall of Jerusalem of just junk that got hucked over the wall, down at the base of the wall, and it's covered with dirt. People have been littering for a long time. And along that's a little road. And guess what's part of the road? The trash. The critical attitudes. The, the spirits that say, i got to pick apart everything. You see, that's that roadside soil that's, that's demonic. And then there's the, the disappointment factor, the, the rocky soil. They, they professed Christ but never possessed Him. There's a lot of people like that. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I went forward at a crusade and I said yes to Jesus. And then nothing happened. Notice what he says. They hear the word, receive it with joy. There's gladness. Yeah, it's truth. I believe that. And then all of a sudden, there's no root. Their idea of going to church is Christmas and Easter. Mm -hmm. Once a month, twice a month, twice a year, every other year, because it's getting a little burdensome to go more than once a year, you know. There's that disappointment factor. And you know why? Me. People go, well, you know, he said this, and it's all, that's not what I wanted to hear. I, I hear things like, well, I'm just not in that kind of place. That's not where I am right now. Well, where you are is probably not where God wants you to be, and that's why you're disappointed. And I don't mean to offend unnecessarily, but the bottom line is the Word of God's gonna, gonna touch you every once in a while in a way you don't like to be touched. And so there's a disappointment. He says, but they have no root. 
for which for a while they believe in a time of temptation. Family of God, if you don't consistently take in the word of God when temptation comes, you will fall. You will. And I say that from experience. From my late teens to my 30s, I was that guy. I was the disappointment factor. Well, church disappointed me. I mean, after all, I had long hair. They wouldn't even let me in the sanctuary. I had the disappointment factor. Well, that can't be God, so I'll just have my own personal relationship with the Lord. And my personal relationship doesn't include going to church, hanging out with Christians, speaking like a believer, having any evidence of godliness in my life whatsoever. Matter of fact, I'm going to follow the world, because it's a whole lot more fun, because I'm disappointed with church. Let me just save you a little bit of trouble. I'm going to disappoint you as a pastor. I will. I guarantee you I will say something. You're going, he's a nut. I agree with you. There are times it's like, Lord, I'm glad you can still speak through donkeys. You'll be disappointed upon occasion. Maybe relatively regularly. And I can tell you this, you're never going to find a perfect church. Ever. But you don't want to get to that place to where you just can't receive. And all of a sudden, there's no root, and you're not taking anything in, and you don't believe a word of it. Matter of fact, I don't even know why these folks even go to church at times. I know that was my case. I went because I was going to get right with God. You ever heard that one or used it? I'm going to go get right with God. Going to go to church, have them pray for me. No root. And when tough stuff comes, you're toast. The third thing, the detrimental factor, the ruined soil. You see, here's the deal. There will be competition for the Word of God in your life. There will be competition for the Word of God in your life. And I, 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 I just so, when I look at this, it's that detriment. It's just like all these things that vie for our attention and our time and our talent and our treasure. And that really is the most gruesome soil of all. Because you've heard the word of the Lord, you know what it says, and you go about trying to do it the world's way. And when you do that, let me tell you what the end will be. And I will prophesy over your life. It won't be good. Because you'll know what God's word says, but you're going to buy what the world has to offer anyway. And you're going to trade the glories of heaven for the junk of this world. And that can be business, that can be an active lifestyle. And again, I'm not against any of these things, and neither is your Bible. Your Lord is not. But when you don't have time for Jesus, there's a problem. Okay, When God gets choked out by everything, one of the sad things about this time of year as I know, people are home watching football games. And I'm telling you, I like football. I like football a lot. Matter of fact, I really enjoy a good football game. But what I really enjoy is knowing that I get a chance to come and share God's Word with you. And it has to be a priority. And if it's not a priority, I am telling you, stuff will choke Jesus out of your life. You're going to end up one. You're not even going to know how you got there. 
because it will be a slow, detrimental process that will take your life over, and eventually you'll be so wrapped up in business, you'll be so wrapped up in your relationships, you will be so wrapped up that you will not be doing anything but thinking about your next time that you're going to have fun. You guys know me. I love to fish. I love to ski. I'm a backpack. I like all of that stuff, and every bit of it has its place. So do not misunderstand what I'm saying here. Being a Christian is the most fun you'll ever have while you're on this earth. But those things take their right priority, and it's not number one. It's not number one. Jesus is number one. And if Jesus is not number one, then eventually he's going to become number two, and then number five, and number ten, and then you won't be able to find him on your list of things to do. That's how it'll go. And you'll be going, wow, I used to walk with the Lord. I used to go to church. You see, the world wants to snatch that away from you. And so it offers up everything you can think of. And again, I know some of you have to work on some, I get all of that, and I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the willing and absolute decisive factor of you saying, you know what, I'd rather watch football than go to church. I, I, I would rather engage in business on Sunday than go to church. And again, sometimes you have to do that, go on Wednesday. Come to the men's study. Go to the ladies' study. Make time for Jesus, because if you don't, pretty soon, you're not going to find Him. You're going to turn, look around, and go, how in the world did I get here? That soil is ruined. And then finally, and we get to end on this wonderful note, the, de- the delightful factor, if you will. The ready soil. You see, because we're all sowing seeds. If you're a believer, you get an opportunity to join Jesus in sowing the seed. You get to speak the Word of God. It goes out from your life. Maybe you're not a pastor. Maybe you don't think you're an evangelist. But you get to sow the seed of the Word of God to people by the way you live. And in doing so, you bear fruit. I guarantee you there are going to be people in heaven who simply saw some believer's life and said, you know what, Jesus is real in him. I believe that. Jesus is real in her. I'm going to live my, I'm going to follow them as they follow Christ. So in contrast, if you will, to the ruined soil, the rocky soil, the roadside soil, is this good soil. And you can see it easily. It bears fruit. It's that simple. It's not hard. It's not some complex process. There's fruit that says, I love God. God loves me, and here's what happens when that happens. There's godly things that come out of your life, my life, our life, the church's life. These things that are true individually are also true about the church, by the way. I've seen some rocky churches. I've seen some ruined churches. I've seen some churches you can't find Jesus in. I've seen some churches that don't preach the Word of God anymore. They're liars. They're thieves. They're charlatans. Scripture says so, not me. I just know what the Word says, and they don't preach that. They preach something else. There's a nice prosperity gospel that says you're going to become rich. You're never going to get sick again because you go to church. 
If anybody tells you that, you can look them in the eye and say, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because I've buried people who love Jesus that got cancer. I've seen people who love the Lord and they're faithful in their giving that end up filing bankruptcy. I can't tell you why God allows those things, but I can tell you this. The good soil survives all those things. The good soil actually thrives in those things. Make sure that your good soil bears good fruit. And, and can I just tell you this? Soil can always be improved. Amen? If you drive up the 5 or maybe the 99, you go through the Central Valley of California, you ever seen how much time they take in prepping the soil? It's crazy. They're out there first, they furrow it and lay it over, and then they stir it up again, then they put fertilizer in it, then they water it, and then they let it lay fallow for a year, and then they do it all over again, and they put nutrients back in the soil. Soil can always be improved. And it takes a lot of work. Farming is work. Okay, Tilling up hard ground is work. We need to do that work. We need to do that work. Otherwise, you'll never have a fruitful garden in your life. And the Word of God does that. And other people do that. And church does that. Your own personal devotional time does that. It's prepping your heart. It's letting things get in. If you leave it rocky, if you leave it ruined, nothing's going to grow. Eat good soil. Let God's Word do that. And these hearers are all typified in your Bible. The first kind of hearer, the scribes and Pharisees, about whom Luke has already told us they rejected God. The second kind of hearer, you remember Demas, Paul's associate, who walked away from ministering. He went back and walked no more, your Bible says. The third kind of hearer was just like the rich young ruler. Amen? The cares of the world. He wanted to follow, but he wasn't going to give up his money. Wasn't going to give up his time in business. He was just going to continue things status quo. And then finally, the fourth kind of fear. You know him. All the disciples. Nicodemus. Cornelius that we've already met. The Marys that were serving Jesus. It's all good soil. It was bearing fruit. And so I encourage you. Sow seed. Till some soil. Maybe your own heart needs to be stirred up, turned over a little bit. Maybe there's something going on in your life that has kind of made it a little bit rocky, a little bit thorny, a little bit ruined maybe. Maybe there's a demonic force, a detrimental force at work. But I pray there's a delightful force. And that in that, we bear much fruit. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I want to just pray right now for those that have heard this morning. I want to pray specifically for those that maybe are just at that place to where they just don't know about this Jesus thing. Pray, God, that you would convict them of the truth of these words. Lord, they're not my words, they're your words. And pray that they would receive with gladness the message of the Gospel. And Lord, as we close in prayer, that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. God, we pray that you would just continue to till up the soil of our hearts. Lord, fertilize us and water us. And at the same time, Lord, help us to go forth and sow some seed. 
We love you. We praise you. We bless you. All God's people said, Amen.